Lawmakers convened on Capitol Hill this week to politely but definitively put the screws to NASA. Last week, NASA announced the delay of Artemis II to September 2025 and Artemis III to September 2026. I look forward to hearing from NASA about the cause of these delays. The Artemis missions will return man and woman this time to the moon. But the U.S. has competition from Chinese astronauts, from an unmanned Japanese craft that moon landed literally today. It looks like it has reached on the moon. This modern space race is very expensive, so NASA is turning to the commercial space sector that's dominated by powerful CEOs, your Elon Musks and your Jeff Bezoses. They strike out too. In fact, an American company's moon lander crashed just this week, but they can afford it. The race for the moon, coming up on Today Explained. Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for... Today Explained. I'm Noel King. Chris Davenport covers NASA and the space industry for The Washington Post. He's been covering all the big space news, which, if you haven't been following closely, is that the U.S. is planning to go back to the moon. So, Chris, how's that going? So this was actually a plan uh, called Artemis that was uh, born during the Trump administration uh, where they decided they wanted to uh, focus NASA on returning astronauts to the moon uh, under the Obama administration. It had been this journey to Mars. I understand that some believe that we should attempt a return to the surface of the moon first, as previously planned. But I I just have to say uh, pretty bluntly here, We've been there before. And the Trump administration came in and said, no, we want to we want to go back to the moon. We're dreaming big. This is a giant step toward that inspiring future and toward reclaiming America's proud destiny in space. And NASA's initial plan was to get astronauts there by 2028. The Trump administration came in and said, no, we want to do that by 2024, this incredibly ambitious timeline that few thought was actually possible. And as it turns out, it was, it was not possible. But what was significant is that the Biden administration embraced the Artemis program. And that is the first time you have had subsequent presidential administrations embrace uh, a moon mission or, or a deep space, human spaceflight mission since the Apollo era. Service, the mission you're about to go on, the United States can return. People will moan. It's hard to believe for the first time in over 50 years. And the worst part is I can remember exactly where I was when they announced 
that man that has landed on the moon. Doesn't mean I'm old, it just means you guys are moving quickly. <laughs> so they did keep the Artemis program, which is a big deal, but the timeline, however, is changing. And and they came in and said initially 2024 is not feasible. Uh, we're going to hope to do it by 2025. Now, as we know just recently, they announced uh, that's going to uh, slip somewhat significantly. So what I want to tell you is we are adjusting our schedule to target Artemis II for September of 2025 and September of 2026 for Artemis III which will send humans for the first time to the lunar south pole. There's going to be the next mission, which will have four astronauts in the Orion capsule in the spacecraft, and it will fly around the moon. It won't land on the moon. It'll fly around it, and that is being pushed back to um, September of next year, and the lunar landing uh, about a year after that, showing just how you know, difficult these missions can be. Man has been to the moon. Joe Biden and President Trump were both alive for it. Why, if we've been there and we've done it, are these two successive presidents who run the United States government, why are they so keen to get us back to the moon? Well, the the moon today, in some ways, is not the moon uh, that we visited in the late 60s and early 70s during the Apollo era. Oh, jeez. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. What we know about it today is that uh, it's not dry. It, there's water on the moon. There's water in the form of ice at the poles of the moon, particularly in the south pole of the moon. And so that's where NASA and the White House wants to go. And water is important because it's not just um, water to drink, and if you can break it up, oxygen to breathe, but the component parts, hydrogen and oxygen, can also be used as rocket fuel. Um, And if you can mine the water and then separate the parts, um, that is a very big deal that could allow uh, broader exploration of the solar system and particularly getting to Mars. The other thing that's different now, it's not just the the United States. Um, I mean, we had this Cold War space race during Apollo with the Soviet Union. The dramatic achievements in space, which occurred in recent weeks, should have made clear to us all, as did the Sputnik in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of which road they should take. Now it's with China. And um, because of the presence of water and because of the presence of other resources there, both countries want to set up a more permanent presence and really stay there uh, in order to uh, take advantage of the resources there, which again is very different from Apollo, where we went, the astronauts stayed for a couple of days and then they left and they came home. Um, Now they want to go and really go, but to stay. When NASA does send astronauts to the moon, as it's planning to do, what is that mission going to look like? Well, the first mission, um, you know, will be something uh, similar to the previous ones. Two, one. Because that first mission won't be an enduring one. The astronauts will go and they will come home. They need to test out the hardware. Back to the moon and beyond. But what will be significant about it is while the uh, rocket and the spacecraft that get the astronauts to the moon, 
the lunar lander, the spacecraft that they'll transfer to to get them to the surface of the moon, won't be owned and operated by NASA. It'll be owned and operated by a private company. On the first mission, it'll be uh, SpaceX, which is obviously uh, Elon Musk's company. In order for the Artemis program to succeed, we must succeed with, with Starship. And like I said, we actually want to far, ex- far exceed what NASA has asked us to do. NASA is trying to harness the growing capability in the commercial space sector. And so uh, SpaceX won that contract to build the spacecraft known as Starship to uh, ferry astronauts to and from uh, the lunar surface. And um, on subsequent missions, it won't just be SpaceX. It'll be Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's company. The, the lunar lander we're developing for NASA, the Mark II lander, that's part of uh, the Artemis program. They call it the Sustaining Lander Program. Because they've also won a contract to build a lander capable of taking astronauts um, to the moon. And this is the way, actually, NASA's been going for some time, building out these public-private partnerships. Um, it started with uh, flying cargo and supplies to the International Space Station and science experiments, not people, um, but but payloads and cargo. Uh, that evolved into flying cargo to flying people to the International Space Station, and SpaceX does that now, and Boeing also has a contract to do that. They haven't been able yet to fly astronauts there, but Boeing is working on it, and its first flight could come as soon as April. Um, And now they're extending that paradigm all the way out to the moon and having these public-private partnerships because, you know, we've got this growing commercial space sector that we just did not have uh, 30 years ago. So when the rocket goes up, I'm thinking of the rocket going up into the air, and for whatever reason, I can see in my brain the rocket has NASA written on the side of it. Um, You're saying the rockets will be owned by private companies. Is it going to have, like, SpaceX written on the side instead of NASA? Well, it depends on which rocket and it depends on which mission. In the Artemis program, the program going to the moon, you have a mix of the old and the new. The rocket that will take off Uh, from Earth is NASA's rocket. It's called the Space Launch System. Uh, It is owned and operated by NASA and is built um, by taxpayers. The rocket, or the spacecraft rather, that will meet up with the astronauts in orbit around the moon and then take them down to the surface and then take them back off the surface, that will be a commercial spacecraft. And that's what's so interesting, and you see the evolution of these programs and where in the Artemis moon missions, they're sort of combining both types of systems. Do you think there's any danger in the private sector playing such a large role in space travel and space flight, working so closely with NASA? Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of power right now in the hands of a few companies, and and that's a concern. I mean, particularly uh, if those companies were to go away, that capability which NASA needs would be lost. Um, Part of the problem is that it's dominated in large part by SpaceX. SpaceX is the only way that NASA is able to fly its astronauts to the International Space Station. Um, you know, for a long time, we were unable to do that. I mean, the space shuttle had retired in 2011, and NASA was forced to rely on Russia to fly its astronauts to the space station. And now SpaceX does it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, NASA had also awarded a contract to Boeing to do this, to create some incentive to create a competition between the two companies 
and to have a backup in case something happened to SpaceX. But Boeing has not been able to deliver. They have not been able to fly astronauts leading, leaving SpaceX as the sole provider. So I think NASA would really like to have Boeing on board, uh, charging ahead, uh, competing with SpaceX, because when you have competition, it's not just to drive down the price. It will increase efficiencies and safety and redundancy and all of that. We want more competition. We want two landers. And it means that you have reliability. You have backups. It benefits NASA. It benefits the American people. So I think a lot of people are looking at it and think it will be better and a little bit more fair and equal once there are more companies that are able to get out there and to compete. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for Today Explained comes from Quince. It's spring, which means it's time to shed that enormous puffer jacket and don some more sunshine-appropriate attire. In that case, you may want to check out Quince. Quince offers springtime pieces like 100% organic cotton gauze tiered maxi dresses and 100% European linen blazers. I really want to currently Google organic cotton gauze tiered maxi dresses. In the meantime, here's here's Claire White from, from our business team here at Vox. Everything I've received is incredibly comfortable and the quality was really surprising. After now receiving this first batch, I feel like I can trust that the quality is going to be good across the board. 
I googled the dresses. There's there's all kinds. I've seen those dresses. You can indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash explain for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash explain to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash explain. Today, explain my co-pilot is Chris Davenport. He's the space reporter for The Washington Post. Chris, in the first half of the show, we talked about Artemis and the mission to the moon. Let's now talk about the International Space Station, what it is and where it fits into these new NASA priorities. The International Space Station is an orbiting laboratory, and it has been a foothold in space where uh, people have been living continuously uh, for more than 20 years. And if you just think about that, that's pretty amazing that there has always been a human being in space for the past 23 years or so. We even recycle our urine. Astronauts go up there and they conduct science experiments. Um, The other benefit of the International Space Station, it sort of shows the soft power diplomacy of NASA and how it binds international partners together. I want to point out again how important it is to work together. Uh, Right now you see five nationalities here and we are looking forward to work together. So on the International Space Station, you have NASA working with the European Space Agency, working with Japan, and of course, working with its main partner, Russia. So even when there have been geopolitical tensions on the ground, particularly with Russia's invasion of of Ukraine, that partnership in space has continued to, to operate. The private sector has gotten involved with the moon missions. Is the private sector at all getting involved with the International Space Station? They are. Uh, NASA is looking at the the ISS and realizing that it's been up there in the harsh vacuum of space for more than two decades. And as they look ahead, particularly as they focus on the moon, NASA is saying they don't have the budget to go out and build another space station. But They don't want to lose their hold in low Earth orbit. They want to keep astronauts going to low Earth orbit. And so they're looking to the private sector to build commercial habitats uh, in space that NASA would continue to use, but they would use it as a customer, one customer, potentially many other customers on these commercial space stations. Okay, so are companies going to be bidding uh, or approaching NASA? Are they going to be competing to build the new International Space Station? How how will this work? Yeah, that's right. NASA has already had a competition. They had the first round. Private companies have until February 12th to submit a design protocol to dock and eventually crash the space station in a safe space on Earth. You have uh, Blue Origin, again, Jeff Bezos' space company, is uh, leading the effort on one side with some other partner uh, companies and um, a company called Nanorax on the other side and Voyager Space that um, are receiving uh, tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars to build their commercial space stations. We as a country can't have a gap in terms of capability in low Earth orbit. So it's really important that we commercialize low Earth orbit in anticipation of the ISS being offline as early as 2030. There's another company called Axiom Space that actually begun uh, building their space station even before this. We competed for a contract uh, with NASA. Uh, We won that back in January 2020. And uh, from there, we've been working on uh, developing 
the world's first commercial space station. We'll assemble it, attach to the International Space Station starting in uh, late 2024. They're based in, in Houston and hope within a couple of years to send up a module that would actually connect with the International Space Station so they can test it and see how it works. And then eventually it would detach and become a free flyer and they would build on that. So yes, you're seeing again this extension of uh, the commercialization of space and these public-private partnerships with NASA uh, move into a new arena that traditionally had been the exclusive domain of governments. What would an international space station built by private companies look like? Is it going to be? Is it going to be nicer? I don't. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Axiom, for example, has hired you know this French architect, and they want the design to be uh, much more modern and to the extent that it can be comfortable and plush. Whereas the ISS is, you know, if you've been to a federal office building here in office, you know, Washington D.C., it's you know functioning but not very stylish. And a commercial station, I think, would be more stylish. There would be an emphasis on uh, greater views of Earth. Mm. So Axiom talks about having these big windows, and so does Blue Origin, because I think that's part of what you do. Now, the ISS does have a cupola where astronauts do spend a lot of time, uh, but they're there primarily uh, to do science and research, um, not to stargaze. But I think if you have a commercial company that may have some space tourists go up there, they're going to maximize... Uh, comfort and and the views of space, which, you know, if you talk to any astronaut, they say those views of Earth from space are really profound. But this newer plusher model of an ISS, it's still, it's, its main task would still be serving NASA's interests. There's no, there's no competition over who's in charge of it. Well, the, the commercial company would be in charge of it. It's their space station. Wow, yeah. And NASA would use it and, and rent space on it and be, you know, one customer of many customers and want to send up its astronauts to do research. But you might have uh, astronauts from other uh, countries want to do this. Other countries say that are not partners on the International Space Station who want to go up. You might have scientists from universities. Uh, you might want to have space tourists, as I mentioned. You might want to have, um, you know, film production companies that want to, you know, film a, a really cool scene. I mean, there's talk that Tom Cruise actually at some point would go to the International Space Station. I feel the need, the need for speed. And you could see uh, more marketing, uh, TV commercials filled in, filmed in space, that sort of thing. I mean, I think once you open it up uh, to the commercial sector, it's whatever people can come up with where they think they can make money. I'm not anti-private business. I'm, I'm in a lot of ways, very pro-business. But I do wonder, I do wonder about Elon Musk being the one who has the control, or uh, frankly, any, any, you know— any CEO of any company having control over all of this, making the decisions about all of this, while NASA, you know, rents out a couple rooms. You've been you've been covering space for a long time. You also strike me as a very level-headed reporter. Do you think that we society lose something when space travel, when space exploration, when hanging out in low Earth orbit goes totally private? You know, NASA's it's it's there for the taxpayer. It's there for the purpose of the United States and for the country. Um, these missions, you know, during the early days, you think of, you know, John Glenn and Neil Armstrong and all these astronauts. They were, you know, almost in a way 
like soldiers going off to combat and carrying the flag. And it meant something to put an American flag on the moon. And now opening up to commercial interests, you wonder if space travel is in a way losing its dignity. And, you know, particularly if all of a sudden you've got marketing and advertising. Too much garbage in your face? There's plenty of space out in space. B&L Starliners leaving each day. We'll clean up the mess while you're away. We think of space in this expanse, this sort of global commons for all of humankind now being taken over by corporations. I think that is concerning. Other people, though, would say that that's a sort of natural evolution of things, that government, you know, pioneered all sorts of travel, like, you know, commercial aviation, for example, and now it's just uh, a routine part of our lives, and we're able to go where we want, and that's just the price of business. And, And the commercial industry has shown that it can move faster, and it can be better in a lot of ways than the government, which is, you know, as perhaps it should be, uh, buried under these layers of bureaucracy where a a company can be much more efficient. But you do wonder if there shouldn't be a better balance of the two somehow. But I do think with the commercialization of space, you are losing those early days and the sort of probity and, and the sort of nostalgia that we had for that era. It's almost like, you know, where have you gone, John Glenn? Uh, because we don't have that anymore with whether it's Elon or Jeff or Richard Branson or any of them. I mean, it's just markedly different. It also strikes me that space, space travel, space exploration wasn't ultimately profitable enough for NASA. This is expensive stuff, and the return on it is, you know, open to interpretation. Do Did you ever manage to ask any of these big CEOs, like, How are you going to make money off of this? That's the big question. At what point do we sort of go into the tipping point where there is a self-sustaining space economy, where it can stand on its own? And when I say that, I mean without NASA or really the Pentagon as well, because, you know, the Pentagon has enormous interests in space and also relies on all of these companies and gives them uh, millions, if not billions of dollars in contracts. Um, but when do we get to the point where um, it's no longer driven by the government and these companies aren't dependent on the government? And it is clear that we are not there yet. And it is unclear whether we will ever get there. We, we want to go far beyond the NASA requirements and actually be able to put enough payload on the moon with enough frequency that you could actually have a permanently occupied moon base. That's the next really big threshold from Apollo, is have have an actual moon base. But whether that model will continue as we move out, you know, from low Earth orbit to the moon, and if there's, you know, any kind of economic activity on and around the moon, that remains to be seen. And if that's going to happen, it's not going to be really uh, anytime soon. Journalist Chris Davenport, his book is The Space Barons. Victoria Chamberlain produced today's show and Matthew Collette edited, Laura Bullard fact-checked, and Patrick Boyd engineered. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 